This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Bible, you can take that out. We're going to be bouncing around a little bit today. Uh, I'm excited. Today we are going to be introducing not just a new series, but actually uh, our theme for the year. And uh, this is something Jen and I have talked about the past couple of months, and then this week uh, I went away for about 12 hours and just poured over the scriptures and prayed and and read and uh, really feel like the Lord has been doing something in me, which I think is just in a small window of what he's wanting to do in our church. And so the, the theme of this year is going to be called Heart Renovation. And uh, I'm really excited about it. And, and the reason for that is because if we can get this, if this, if God can accomplish in us, not that it'll be done in a year, but if we can understand the significance and the importance and the priority God has in changing our hearts, uh, then everything else is affected. Our families, our workplaces, our attitudes, our behaviors, everything flows out of this place, which we'll be talking about today. So uh, my, my hope is that this is the beginning of a journey. Um, and, and if you're willing and you might be visiting, that's totally fun. And we hope you see something today. But this is such a massive uh, theme and something so near to the heart of God, this is going to take us several months to really unpack what this means. What, what I believe scripture clearly states is God's desire for us to have a heart renovation, which is another way of talking about discipleship or sanctification. Uh, ultimately, it's what happens when us, his children, are being formed and conformed into the image of Jesus. So the end goal I'm just going to cut right to the end, is by the end of this year that you and I would look more like Jesus, that our hearts would look more like Jesus, that your spouse would look to you, your friend would look to you, your neighbor would look to you, and just be, and they might even be able to articulate it. I don't know what it is, but you're different. And, and the easy thing would be to jump into, uh, let's, change, let's change our behavior, let's just change habits and choices, and that's a part of it. We're going to get to that. But if we don't change the heart, if God doesn't change our heart, then those things we've changed, those new habits we've formed, uh, will never be able to last the distance or have the fruit if the actual source uh, happens. So uh, just, just a verse to get us started, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. And I love this last saying, for everything you do flows from it. I mean, what a, what a massive statement about the heart. Everything you do flows from this place. And in this context, it says, so guard it, protect it. We're going to talk about other things to do with the heart and the significance of the heart. But just that last, like, everything we do flows from this place. So it should get our attention. It should captivate us at some level. What are we doing with it? And oftentimes, again, and I'm guilty of this, oftentimes we immediately go to the symptom rather than the condition. So I was, I was thinking back um, over, my li- over my life, and I was just thinking, like, the, the times that I, I've messed up, and man, that took me a long time. Just, there's so many things I could just, so many stories I could just pull from. 
And I'm like, Jen, do you have any stories of me messing up? And she goes, lots, <laughs> lots of stories. Um, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell one. When I, when I was younger, uh, we took a family vacation to this place called Hannigan's Meadow. And it's, I, I know, right? Anyone ever been to Hannigan's Meadow? My sister. <laughs> I see you. Welcome. Beautiful sister from Pasadena's visiting. Yes, you get it. That was our response. Like, what's Hannigan's Meadow? But apparently my dad went there when he was a kid and wanted to go back. Had these great memories. And so we go, it's like in eastern Arizona, kind of in the mountains, uh, obviously in a meadow. And what he had remembered as uh, like a childhood memory is kind of, I think it still existed, but it just kind of kind of run down. It wasn't like this great, great thing, but we're like, okay, well, we're here. We're going to have a good time. And at this point in my life, I was in junior high, uh, and it was maybe one of, of the most uh, deliberately rebellious seasons of my life. And I, and I know it, we can kind of like laugh at like, oh, you're only in junior high. But for me, in my point in my life, it, this was something that I was making decisions behind my parents' back just to uh, begin to kind of be a part of this, this new group of friends. And what I found myself doing is all sorts of, of different things. But one of the things was I began to cuss a ton. But I was really good at not cussing at home and cussing a ton at school. And, and so we're at this, so I remember we're sitting, Katie, Daniel, and I, we're sitting on this table, and we're playing something, we're playing like checkers or something, and it gets heated as it does when you're a kid and you're playing games, right? Someone calls someone a cheater, like, you can't do that. And I, um, and someone accuses me of cheating, and I just drop like a cuss word. And none, I had never heard a single person in my family cuss in our entire lives, nor do I think they had ever heard. I don't know if they did or not. <laughs> But, like, the air in the room got sucked out. Like, what? Oh, and, and immediately I'm just like, oh, no. Like, the secret cat's out of the bag. My secret's out. I'm a heathen, and they know it. And sure enough, they're like, we're telling mom and dad. And I block the ex. I'm like, don't tell them. Don't tell them. I, I said that. And there comes this huge thing. And, and in this moment... I'm looking at, at this moment, and, and it, for me, it was all about cussing. But really, it had nothing to do with cussing. It had a lot to do with my heart. You see, in that moment, that fear that arose in my heart was, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be outside my family. I just did something that none of my family's ever done. What are they going to do? I'm obviously going to be disciplined. What do my siblings, siblings think of me? And immediately, there was a fear in my heart that I was going to be outside. And so, which caused me to block the exit, convince them not to do, and somehow, I, I, I don't think they even told on me. But as I think back to the thing, the reason I started cussing in the first place is that same fear. I was afraid of being on the outside. And as, as I reflect back in this kind of this silly little moment, you know, those moments just kind of have kind of way back then, I'm realizing that this wasn't a problem with my mouth. It was a problem with my heart. I had a deep fear of being outside of relationship, of whether it's friends or family. And because of that brokenness in my heart, it showed symptoms in my speech, in my behavior, in how I acted. So Dallas, Dallas Willard, who wrote a book called The Renovation of the Heart, I've been reading it, and has highly influenced this series. Um, 
is someone I've, I've really, he's helped me understand this concept. And the reason being, and the reason why it's hard to do, is if you read the scriptures, and I actually had uh, someone text me uh, this week asking me questions about this specific topic, not knowing we're going into this series. It's like, okay, well, what's, what's our heart? What's our spirit? What's our soul? If you've ever, have you ever wondered those questions reading scriptures, like how, how does that play out? And the reason why that's hard to translate is nowhere in scripture does it give us a concrete answer. It never tells us, well, this is this, this is, here's the definition, that, which we would love if it was Westerners, just make it clear as day, right? Like some sort of textbook. But it doesn't do that. It's a little bit more ambiguous, a little bit more nuanced. And Dallas Willard, I think God's really gifted this spouse. He just passed away a few years ago, but he was the um, president of Dallas Theological Seminary. So um, obviously knows his Bible. Um, and then later on in life became the, the head of the philosophy department of USC, uh, which is kind of a big, strange jump, right? A secular philosophy school viewed him as the best and a, a conservative biblical school considered. And so his understanding of scripture and philosophy is really unique. And so he, um, in through this book, kind of describes, as he kind of surveys the Bible, how he believes where the heart functions overall, and he looks over scripture. So I want to show this diagram. Hopefully you can read this. It's a little bright in here. But the very center, kind of the nucleus of who we are, if we look at the scripture, is this idea of heart. Um, sometimes in scripture, it's also used spirit or will, but it seems that it has all the same function. It's, it's kind of the inmost part of who we are, the control center, the headquarters of our being is our heart. Beyond that is our mind, our thoughts, our thinking, and, and who we are that really govern. And then the next part there is our, our body, our physical actions that we do. And uh, beyond that, there is the social realm and, and the relational influences we have. And um, an umbrella over all of that, encompassing all of that, is our soul, who we are as a whole person. Is a soul. And this is kind of how he lays it out. If you, if you want to have a different argument, that's totally fine. Talk to him. He's dead. But you can't. Um, so I'm just saying, this is, this is how he lays it out. And it, it's been helpful for me to understand. Now, as we look at this diagram, and, and forgive me if you're like, you know, this sounds a little teaching. We're, we have to lay this out in the beginning. We're going to get to, um, I'll get preaching here in just a minute. But let's just kind of just understand this together because this is a little bit of a primer for the rest of the year. Is that our, all of these things can operate independently of themselves. So sometimes uh, our, our thoughts and things that have kind of our own things, sometimes our, our, our bodies and physical things. But for the most part, our heart is kind of the center uh, of everything that we do. So for instance, our soul, sometimes we'll have a, a soul symptom. That, that could be like an, our identity. Who are we? And, and that soul symptom is actually speaking to more of a heart condition. Or sometimes we have a social symptom, right? Like me in junior high. Like I had all these social relational pressures on me, but it really, was it junior high that was the problem? Or there's actually something in my heart that was broken, that needed fixing, that needed wholeness, that God needed to touch and he eventually did and is doing. But those were all symptoms. And same thing with our body. Some, sometimes, sometimes our, um, this, I start off the new year, sometimes I do this, I did like a three-day uh, juice fast. And it's amazing how much that reveals about my heart. <laughs> like not eating food physically um, it, or lack thereof, not eating food physically immediately reveals my heart condition very fast, 
right? My, my attitude, the things I think about, the things I'm longing for. And it's one of the reasons I believe God prescribes fasting as something to change our heart. He's not trying to change our bodies. He's saying, no, 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 this is going to show you something about your heart, or e- even our mind. I remember years ago when I struggled uh, severely with anxiety, and I was meeting with my therapist, and his question was, and he helped me point out, he's like, all your anxiety is, is coming from a place of control. You are so afraid of losing control. And that was a heart condition. I didn't feel safe in my heart at the core of who I was in the hands of God. And that resulted in a symptom in my mind. So, so I hope you guys see, again, this is, this is a really kind of brief flyover but all of these things, things that you struggle with mentally, things with your body, things in your social environments, things at a soul level, may be independent of themselves, but the chances are most of these things are pointing to your heart. There's something in your heart that God is wanting to heal, to make whole, to change, to draw closer to himself. And that's really, that's really important. And the reason why this is so important is because and really where church can get a bad rap, and I should say religion in general, is because people assume that everything is about behavior modification. Everything's about changing your behavior. And, that, and there's, there's, there's benefit to that, right? We do that with our children all the time. We want to change their behaviors. Ultimately, though, as parents, we want their heart to change. I love how Matt Chandler, who's a pastor in Texas, talked about this. We brought this up in Sermon on the Mount series, but I love it. He says, Jesus is not after outward conformity, but inward transformation, why I love Jesus, and it's why Jesus frustrated so many religious people, and still does to this day. It's why he frustrates the religious part of me, because he's not after outward conformity. He's after inward transformation, and, at, and through that inward transformation, our outward actions and behaviors and thoughts begin to change, but it's not in that reverse order. So I just, um, just again, for us to be on the same page, I want to read just a few verses that talk about the heart in Scripture. Some of them you really know well. But listen to the significance that Scripture places on the heart. The first one's in 1 Samuel 16, 7. This is when God speaks to the prophet Samuel to go anoint David, the king of Israel, uh, the greatest king they've ever had. And he's nowhere to be found because his father didn't bring him up to be chosen. But then Samuel says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him, talking about David's older brother. For God sees not as man sees. Listen to this. For man looks at what? The outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Psalm 51.10, after that same king sinned in a grotesque and awful and horrific sin, writes his prayer out. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, one thing I think David knew is that was a heart issue. Man, it was incredibly physical and mental and a soul level things, but his prayer was, change my heart. Create in me a new heart, a pure heart, O God. Jesus in Luke 6.45 says the same thing. It says, a good man brings good things out of, a, out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh, isn't that a painful verse? Man, this is one of those verses you just wish 
maybe didn't get translated <laughs> in the Bible because it's just, because so oftentimes, and I love, and James touches on this in his letter as well, it, the mouth is one of the easiest ways to just tell you that there's something wrong in your heart because it says out of the overflow of the mouth or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so how, how many guys have just seen something come out of your mouth and you're just like, oh no, there it goes, <laughs> right? Like, oh, it's not coming back. That's not coming back. I would give anything to take those words back. And immediately, what do we say? I didn't, what? Mean it. That wasn't me. That wasn't my heart. Scripture actually says, yes, it is. There's something in our hearts that's wrong. And, and again, as much as I would love to do a sermon someday on our speech, right? The junior high cusser says, it's a symptom. God's after renovating our heart. This is why in Romans 10, 9, one of the most kind of clear verses about salvation says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But think about Jesus' great, talking about the great commandment in Luke 10, 27. He answered, Lord, or said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And in Jewish literature, the law of first mention is significant. So the very first thing mentioned here is heart. And that's a big deal. Now, the, the Greek word for heart is this word cardia. Does that sound familiar? So we get our word cardio from. And so for them, they're not talking about the physical muscle. They weren't advanced enough in medicine. So for them, the cardia was the inward part of who you are that was the control center of everything you did. So when he says, love the Lord with all your heart, don't think the muscles, say, love the Lord with all your cardia, the, who you are. And so it's translated inner self, um, your volition, your mind, your desires. And Jesus is quoting here an Old Testament verse. This is from the Shema, which is the most famous prayer, the most famous scripture in all of Jewish literature. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. In Hebrew, it's the word leb, same thing. So cardia and leb, in Hebrew and Greek, the word in scripture is used 1,000 times in scripture, approximately. In the whole library of the Bible, again and again, it is this theme that is driven in through every author and every book, every culture that's represented throughout the Bible. It's used. Last little thing, and then we're gonna we're gonna get to preaching. But I, again, we for us to understand the significance. Like, what are you doing right now? I'm teaching. This is different. We'll go through this quickly. Um, but just just some places we're gonna uh, that how Scripture talks about the heart. Number number one is intellectually. I think it's up on the on the screen. I'll just read through these really quick. Intellectually talks about the heart, per, the heart perceives, understands, debates, remembers, thinks, imagines, can become mad and has a technical skill. Emotionally speaking, the Bible talks about the heart being able to have an intoxicated merriment, gladness, joy, sorrow, anguish, bitterness, anxiety, despair, love, trust, affection, lust, callousness, hatred, fear, jealousy, desire, discouragement, sympathy, anger, irresolution. Volitionally, the Bible talks about the heart being able to have purpose, feel to incline, prompt, steadfast, willing, willful, contrive evil, or follow its treasure. Morally speaking, the heart can be gentle, lowly, 
holy, faithful, upright, pure, single-minded, clean, loving, hardened, sensitive, deceiving, deceitful, a very avaricious, whatever that word means, <laughs> lustful, arrogant, impious, impotent, nothing defiles a man but his own heart. I mean, what a broad span of the function of the heart. And this is why G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite quotes, says, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. So, our goal this year is to take that, that inward part of us, our, our, the heart of who we are, and invite God to have his way in that. And it begin to overflow in these different things. So here's kind of a working definition based on all of this that we've kind of put together for the year. It says, the heart is the central and most inward part of us that informs all that we do, think, and feel. The part that is most vital to the Father to be surrendered to Jesus and be formed to the Spirit. Can we do, can we do a favor? Can we just stop right now? And um, let's just pray. As much as we can talk and be informed, I think it's important for us in this moment just to invite the Holy Spirit just to become and begin his work in, in our hearts. So Father, we, <coughs> we thank you that you are a God who is not primarily concerned with our actions and behaviors, but Lord, you are a God who is passionate about our hearts. Lord, that you chase after our inward transformation. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come right now and you would do what you do best, God. You'd breathe life into us. You'd hover over our hearts. And Lord, in the same way you, you were there to create the heavens and the earth, would you create in us something new this year? Lord, we ask that you do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So this year, we're going to be looking, we're going to be kind of doing some five movements, five phases. And, and we thought, um, I love that word renovation because we're in a renovated space right now. And my hope is that this building uh, would become more than just a building. It would become an altar, a reminder for us of what God is wanting to do in us all the time. He's wanting to change, change in us. And so I was thinking about renovation, uh, which I know nothing about. <laughs> My wife would say amen. Uh, but uh, we, we renovated a condo in Escondido years ago that we, we purchased a fixer-upper. We just finished renovating the church. So through those two experiences, I've realized that there is kind of a flow to this that we're going to be following when it comes to our own hearts. When it comes to renovation, the very first thing that happens when there begins to be renovation is design. And I'm never invited into those meetings for some reason. But people get together. We're really good at this. And they have the ability. My wife is amazing. She can just she can see things that don't exist yet. She walked into this space and, and into our house in Escondido years ago. And she walks into different rooms or when she paints on canvas or when she writes a song. She sees things before they exist. And it's this design. Certain people are really gifted at that. And certain people are like me. And so... But every single project of renovation begins with a design. 
Uh, I see Jason Tina in the back. They're amazing designers. They help design this space. They, um, one of the things that they are so amazing at, and they're probably like, stop talking about us, um, is they can create these 3D renderings. So when we're, I remember walking through the space, and, and Jason and Tina are like, hey, we can actually show you what this could look like. And we're like, really? And, and a couple days later, they came back, and they gave us, just like on like the like fixer-upper thing, you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy science. They have this thing, you can walk in and see the rooms of how they would look, and what you see here was predicted months ago on a computer screen. Really talented, creative, visionary people said, we want it to look like this. They showed it to the people who would work on it, and it turned out looking like that. And so the very first thing that we need to do when it talks about the renovation of our heart is we need to have a design plan. We need to have, if you will, a rendering of Christ-likeness. So what is the image? At the end goal, what do we want to look like? And in a very simple phrase, it's Jesus. At the end of the day, we want our heart, the rendering of our heart to be Jesus and his heart. The second thing after the design phase happens um, is normally everyone's favorite day is what? Demo, right? Demolition, demo day. And so there is, uh, and, and that's, it's really fun. I remember walking uh, through downstairs and we were widening a hallway and there was just guys with hands more worn than mine with sledgehammers just, just hucking away and, and taking out drywall and changing these different things. And I put one in my son's hand and he's hitting it. And Jen got to blast through wall. And, it, and it's just kind of fun. And I think about uh, when we, it, it, in order for us to accomplish the design, the very first thing is there's things that need to get out of the way. So when it comes to our heart, if we want to accomplish Christ's likeness in our hearts, we have to have a very clear understanding that God might need to remove some things from our life. He might need to change some of our thinking. But before you go like, oh, that sounds depressing, remember, demo's fun. When you let Jesus come in and you get to let him change things, although you do have to relinquish that control, when you, man, when I've let him come in and change things in my life, it's so beautiful and life-giving, and I hope it's gonna be so this month, we're talking about the design. Next month, we're going to be talking about demo. And then we're going to be moving and spending a couple months on these different things. So after the demolition's done, um, all the contractions rumors are like, why is this guy talking about renovation? Be quiet. Um, I have the microphone. So uh, begins the foundation. And so... <laughs> I remember when we got into our condo in Escondido, we ripped out the floor and they had this tile. And I was like, okay, let's lay the floor. And I remember my friend who knew what he was doing said, you can't lay the floor yet because your floor is uneven. I'm like, so? We'll just cover it up. And he's like, you can't do that. So we had to go get these like, this cement uh, sander and grinder and we're there for like two days and there's dust everywhere. And, the, and just to lay the foundation... Was so, it was so important before you could do anything else, it had to be flat and smooth so you could build upon it. And so our foundation, and I'll talk about this in a, in a minute, uh, after this becomes the framing. It's really the stuff you don't see. It's the studs, it's the electrical, it's the plumbing, it's the inner workings of a building that oftentimes are most crucial. But you don't really walk around like, wow, that's a really beautiful plumbing job, you know? <laughs> See, it's really nice. 
but it's, in, it's internal, it's something, but it's, it's incredibly scary. And when it goes wrong, everything, you know it, and it's really expensive. And lastly, becomes kind of what the things that we like to look at, which is our, the functionality. It's, it's the paint and the fixtures and the couches and, the, and what floor you, you put on it and all of these things. And so you flow through this design. I believe that this is that same, this is just a metaphor and a picture for us of what God wants to do in our hearts. Like I said, we're gonna talk about what the rendering of Christ likeness looks like this month. We're gonna talk about what God may want to change or remove in our hearts. And then we're going to move into, and again, this is just a fancy way of just talking about discipleship. Apprenticeship to Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus. And, and we um, Evan, Evan Wickham and I, who we did Christmas Eve. Uh, together with him and Sandy in Park Hill Church, um, spent some time on the phone just talking about this concept. And so both of our churches are going to be focusing on this definition of discipleship this year. And it's these three things if you want to write them down. Be with Jesus is going to be our foundation. Be with Jesus. It's intimacy. It's relationship. It's, it's completely uh, developing a father-son or father-daughter, a friendship with God. So be with Jesus. Number two is going to be become like Jesus. This is our framework. This is our character. This is stuff that no one sees, not behavior, but these are the the practices of Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit, the, the inner workings of who we are that no one may see, but they know when it's broken. And lastly, is going to do what Jesus did. And that's our function. That's what people see. This is the behavior, and behavior matters, but it matters in this order. So again, our goal this year is through the renovation of the heart is that we are going to be with Jesus, we're going to become like Jesus, and we're going to do what Jesus did. And at the end of the day, that people would walk into your life and just be drawn and amazed and captivated, not with how awesome you are, but the beauty of God that has come about in you through the work of the Holy Spirit of the cross. That sound good? Very cool. Well, congratulations, guys. Uh, that, that, that's, again, kind of the, the foundation, the syllabus, if you will, for the year. Um, but I do have to let you know, we can't leave yet before a, a warning. Uh, the warning is this. If we don't understand this properly, uh, this very quickly can turn into an emphasis on behavior or religiosity, self-righteousness. And as a church, uh, there is nothing that could be worse for us than that. Because the religiosity and the self-righteousness, what that does is it chokes out the gospel. So something I just want to make really, really clear this morning, after we've heard kind of this whole, the plan for this year, the significance of the heart, is that your heart, the only way this renovation happens is if you understand that the, renov- the space that God wants to renovate has been purchased by him. This is, this is, there couldn't be a more crucial point to realize. You do not own your own heart. You manage it, you steward it, but if you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, that heart has been purchased. It belongs to him. 
And that is called good news. Because what happens is if we, if we feel the weight of changing our own heart because we own it, we will be crushed under the lack of strength that we have. But when we come to a place, and I wanna do that this morning, is being reminded that the reason we're talking about renovation is because what Jesus did on the cross transferred us from being lost and in darkness and being found and in the light. There's a story in scripture that illustrates this for me beautifully. And it's actually before Jesus went to the cross. But it's one of my, it's one of my favorites. So it's a well-known story. But I wanted this to be the story we go out thinking about. This is in John chapter 8. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who had heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first until the only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. That last line, go now and leave your life of sin, is a part of the story, but it is the end of the story. It's the end of this moment. You see, what's happening before this moment is Jesus is doing what he'd been routinely doing and he finds himself in the temple courts of the synagogue and people are gathering around the crowd and there's teaching. It would be kind of a normal day if Jesus had a normal day and, and all of a sudden a large commotion comes their way and barging through the crowd and through the doors of the temple is an entire band of men who are dragging a woman, most scholars believe is either completely naked or maybe has some sort of sheet. But because of the fact she was caught in the act of adultery, there's nothing really for there to, to see. Now, it's important for us to remember in that culture, in an honor and shame, Jewish conservative culture, there is nothing more shameful than being naked. It, it, it's one of the reasons why Jesus was naked on the cross. It is a way to shame someone. So this woman in her most exposed and shameful state is dragged into the temple of courts which men would have gathered and they're there standing around her with stones ready to kill her based on a law that was given by Moses. And they're doing this because they want to trap Jesus because they know Jesus probably is not gonna do it, but he also says that he hasn't abolished scripture. He's come to fulfill it. So how is he going to handle this tension? And so the, 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 the tension is this moment 
talking, and as they're doing this, they're looking like, what, what's going to happen? And Jesus does something really peculiar. Rather than giving a speech, he starts to write on the ground. And he gets up and he says, one thing, he says, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. We don't know what he's writing, but at that moment, it says, from the oldest to the youngest, people begin to drop their rocks and walk away. And Jesus does something, and he looks at her, and I love this. Where are your accusers? They've all gone except for Jesus. He says, neither do I condemn you. You know, in, in that moment, it, it's really easy for us to read this the way I've read this growing up and for years, and to think that Jesus is a really nice guy. What a nice thing for Jesus to do. You see, in that moment, Jesus wasn't being nice. In that moment, Jesus was being selfless. And let me explain. In the, in the very moment, Jesus decided not to condemn her, not to give her the punishment that was given her by the law. He didn't excuse it as if that punishment didn't exist. In that moment, he received that upon himself that he would have on the cross. I'll take your punishment for you. Oh, your accusers are gone. Those same accusers are going to be with me at the cross. The stones that they would have hurled at you, they will hurl at me through whips and nails. The punishment you deserve, I can pardon because that's going to come upon me. And in that moment, Jesus told her a narrative of your heart is so valuable no matter how much you've sinned. So valuable that I'm going to take the cost of that sin, the penalty of that sin, and I'm going to transfer it to me. And in that moment, you can just imagine her. And again, I wasn't even thinking about this until last night. I was looking over my notes again. Here is a man looking at her in the eyes when she's completely exposed and shameful, and he sees her, her heart. Neither did I condemn you. When you are clearly a sinful, shameful person, any condemnation I'll take. Go and live differently. See, this, this is the, the starting line, the beginning place of this series has to be the gospel, has to be this moment where Jesus looked at every single one of our hearts and we stand there exposed and shameful before him. And he looks at us in our eyes, into our hearts, and says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'll take that upon me. And in response to that, in response to the gospel, we now get to walk through this year on a journey of saying, Lord, what does that look like now? What does that look like to be fully known and fully loved by you? And my prayer is at the end of the year, I would look more like the rabbi in the temple courts who can look at people in their own sin and shame and see their hearts. I want to be different. I need to be different. My children and my wife and my community and this church need me to look more like Jesus. And it begins with the reality that he's purchased my heart. And now, through his Holy Spirit, 
and to change me and to form me and conform me into his image. And everything will change. Let me leave you with this quote from from Dallas Willard from the book Renovation of the Heart. It says, those with a well-kept heart are persons who are prepared for and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. Their will functions as it should to choose what is good and avoid what is evil. And the other um, components of their nature cooperate to that end. They need not to be perfect. But what all people manage in at least a few times and areas of life, they manage in life as a whole. That be our prayer. That we would become more and more formed into the image of our rescuer, our redeemer, the one who sees us and does not condemn us. And we would become people who mirror that same heart to those around us.